0: We are with clinical psychologist Dr. Joelle Lowe, who's here to answer your mental health questions in our free clinic session.
1: We receive a voice note from Sarah. My husband is being a bit over paranoid about letting kids go anywhere even at this point in time. It's getting very frustrating because I know the kids are acting up, they are bored at home and have too much screen time. So I really want them to get back into their regular routine again. How can we strike a balance here between being safe and being sane?
2: We that's a great that, right?
1: question, Sarah, because yeah, yeah. I am facing that problem right now as well.
0: Yeah. I think this is a really common and frequent question that's going to be asked. La. I think moving forward right now, um, I think it's not something that's going to keep being asked until probably end of the year, maybe mm-hmm. even next year. And I think because like like what JD was saying this now, you know how all of us when we're transitioning to being stuck at home, we were like freaking out. We're saying, oh, can I manage? I think the reverse is also helping now. Right now, that when things are going back to normal, right? We're going to have that period of adjustment as well we're going to freak out about going back out into the wild so to speak like, right? and especially with uh, parents right because uh, young kids we want to make sure they're safe and as, much, as safe as we can be and all these questions about how oh how our kids are going to social distance you know my cousin was saying you know she refuses to buy them like fancy cute masks because if she does she's afraid that when she go to school they'll start changing their masks with their friends mm. to say oh yours is so cute can I show you or <laughs> like.
1: oh really I've never really um, thought about that
0: yeah my, my cousin's a thinker la, right? <laughs> Uh, and I think it's a question that's hard to answer because it's different for everybody, right? So I think that that the caller's example was br- was wonderful because the wife, I think, seems a bit more calmer about things and she's ready to let the kids back into the, the wild yeah. to speak, right? But husband seems a bit more anxious and, and uh, careful. La. And I think that's a really good um, analogy for all of us because every one of us will deal with anxiety a different way. They deal with the pressures or the worries la, about sending our kids, our loved ones, back into the public uh, differently. Like, and yeah. such, right? So there's no real right answer, but... I I think a general rule of thumb Is this There is no such thing As keeping our kids safe Perpetually or forever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At some point They're going to need to Fall down Scrape a knee Get hurt here and there Because it's something that It it, it grows and builds character It helps them grow And it becomes The adults that they need To be uh, moving forward Now I'm not saying Put them in the line of fire And bring them to Or give them Like you know Let them
1: get COVID You know Just to learn a
0: lesson So we take all the Necessary precautions Like face masks Washing hands And uh, social distancing And all that Which we should do right? course but I think if those measures are kept in place and we are doing all we can to make sure that they're safe there's no reason why we shouldn't allow them back into the the public right? to to go to school or whatever you like in that sense Mm -hmm. because they also need to learn to reintegrate themselves back into society yeah I think there was this one fear that a friend of mine was saying that, you know, my kid has grown up, like, because she's got a young kid, about two, three years old, so she's, the, the now that she's becoming more conscious and aware, all of this is happening during the MCO period, right, compared to, let's say, my daughter who was, like, out with her grandparents and going out to malls and meeting friends and all that. So he was asking me, will she grow up socially awkward because she's never had that exposure to people, right? Yeah. I think that's a very valid point as well, you know, we, we, we can't keep them safe at home all the whole time and expect that they're going to be socially okay to integrate later on, right? They, can but it's going to be harder la, in that sense. La. So but I think we got to try a compromise. La. Don't go too extreme but don't go too careful either. La. Try and find a nice middle ground that you guys are comfortable with. John sent us a
1: voice note as well with a question for Dr. Joel.
0: So my girlfriend's father, who is usually very
1: grumpy all the time, suddenly he develops a more pleasant personality. And it's quite strange, you know? I've spoken to her mom about it, and she has nothing to do with it. He started acting like this once MCO was lifted. My girlfriend is very, very concerned. She thinks that he's just putting all this up in front, you know? Uh, I've heard people who suffer from depression often try to hide it by going
0: the opposite extreme. How do we go about this, doctor? The voice callers concerns, I think, are valid, but I'll caveat that like, right? I think if it's something that's positive and you don't see any uh, outward signs of a struggle or, or the fact that you know you know when they're with you they're super jovial, but the instant everyone leaves you catch him like you know frowning or tearing up, for example, if there's no obvious signs of like that, I think I wouldn't be too worried for now, right? I think I would probably sit back and just see what happens, like basically, like, right? And the reason why I say that is because you know everyone can change, you know everyone has the propensity to change. There's no no such thing as you know what's that saying? How's it say? Old dogs under new tricks or something. Yeah, like. yeah. that doesn't apply, like that sounds like. You know, I've seen people who are eighty or ninety who are massive paradigm shifts in the way they live their lives, and it's better for it, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be that you know, This whole MCO thing Put things in perspective For your girlfriend's dad you know, How about How we manage anxiety How being grumpy Is only going to get you So much done Why bother That kind of thing Maybe yeah. I don't know right? So I would say Kick back and, and enjoy it For what it is And appreciate that The, the shift has happened The change has happened right? But like I said Keep an eye out Just like, in case like, right? and, and and it's also warranted For you to just go ask him Hey dad You know you've, you've changed You've been more positive Less grumpy you know, um, And just ask him How are things? What's up? What's going on? And I think that's A perfectly warranted What uh, Okay question to ask And just check and see And make sure that Nothing is going wrong In that sense right? so But is it dangerous To ask an older person Like why are you Acting this way Because I know What they're going to say Angry you're not happy Happy you're not happy What do you want <laughs> <laughs> Well I think Going into that extent And anticipating That's the response You're going to get Is going to help you like That's number <laughs> one right? But you know Frame it in such a way It's a celebration Don't be uh, mm. suspicious About it Or interrogative about it right? Going through it Being very it's, it's a celebration right? Going through it Saying like for example, hey dad, you know what I realized you've been so much more positive, so much more uh, upbeat, you know, and I think it's fantastic. We love it, you know, there's so much more better energy around you in the house. Um I'm wondering how how did that happen? Maybe I learned a thing or two from you, for example. Yeah. So it's all about how you frame or you present the question to him. Like. If you go into thinking in a very interrogative way saying, yeah, how come be so happy I don't know what's going on? <laughs> <should I>, like, <laughs> what's like, going like, on? Like, <laughs> can, like. Now
1: we received a message on our DG Lightline. This is from Carol. She's concerned about her daughter because she She is hardly eating anymore and she's close to being extremely underweight. She obsessed with her size and she Mm. still believes that she is fat. What can I do to mm. help her? Carol did okay. not mention the age of
0: her daughter. Okay. Let's assume if someone's still under your, your roof, lah, right? Um,
1: In her think, teens, um, maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah, correct. So if your child is young enough, like under age of 18, then obviously you have a lot more legal control over what happens. So you can mandate that the child seeks medical attention or medical help, lah, right? But if someone's older, who's like 21, for example, then the, your ability to do so diminishes, of course, right? Um, this is something that's actually quite common we get quite a lot of inquiries about this. And I think there's, there's a really big issue with the whole idea of eating disorders and then the idea of fat and thin and all that. Medical uh, practitioners will tell you there is an ideal weight range for everyone to be in according to your height and according to your fat index and things like that. right? But because of the way our society is, we glorify uh, thinness, we glorify you know um, size zeros and things like that. right? Because of that, right, uh, people are more motivated to go past or beyond the healthy level just so that they can meet society's uh, standards so to speak, la, right? And because of that a lot of times eating disorders and all that they um they go unnoticed or unchecked la, so to speak la, because people actually praise you. You know, when you lose like five kilos for example, people say, Hey dude, you Oh look slim great, you
1: already, look, uh? oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Correct, correct, correct. You know, during Chai's new high rider that kind of thing. Yeah. Like. So, I think because of that, right, these kind of things are hard to even call people up. So, if I have a kid, for example, and she's uh, losing a lot of weight, you know, because of all the positive attention she's getting, the instant I try and jump in and say, hey, you know what, I think it's getting a bit over the top, you know, it's a very good chance that my daughter is going to turn around and say, you know, that you don't understand, you're, you're being uh, too traditional and things like that, right? So, it's going to be very difficult and I can empathize with the, the, the caller's uh, concerns there, lah, right? Now, in terms of what you can do, as per my usual, lah, right, I think educating your child is really, really important. So, information about body dysmorphic disorder, um, that's when you think you're fatter or, sm- or smaller than what you think you are, lah. Right. It's not uh, grounded in reality. And also, anorexia, bulimia, the usual eating disorders, for example, so just letting them know as much as they can. Sometimes, teenagers, young children, they actually start having anorexia and bulimia like symptoms and they don't even know about it because it's something that they concoct in their own heads. La. But when they start realizing that there are many, many people who suffer through that and it's a problem, it helps them understand themselves better and then they can help them, hopefully, like, snap them into the realization okay, I need help. So that's definitely the best way You can go about it lah. Um, That through education Through sharing Letting them know that I'm open to talk Then they come to talk to you The second one is If it gets really too extreme To the point where They're having fainting spells For example They're having problems speaking Because they're throwing up so much Then I think at that point We can evoke uh, Medical uh, assistance lah, right? So then we can send them To the hospital And say you know what You can't take care of yourself We need to make sure That you're okay physically That's not ideal Definitely not ideal Because then there's Going to build a lot of resentment Between you and the child But at some point We need to decide what's more important uh, her physical health or the relationship that we have uh, and mm-hmm. it's not an easy question it's a crappy question to answer uh, but sometimes we have to make the hard decision just to keep our loved one safe unfortunately uh,
1: we receive another question Dr. Joel, on our yep. DG Lightline this is from Ruben I have serious trust issues because of my history and my friends are asking me to go see a therapist But how can I trust a therapist when I don't even trust anyone anymore?
0: That's a really good question and I think that's something that actually a lot of people do struggle with, right? And I think the best uh, answer to that is... As professionals, as a mental professional myself, like for me, I'm a clinical psychologist, right? Um, If you go on to the, the Malaysian Society of Clinical Psychologists webpage, for example, there's a kind of ethical guidelines that we follow, like SOPs, like, protocols that we follow, like, right? And built into it is that whole idea of trust, right? Or at least uh, the idea of trust. Like. So one of the things that we do is that we guarantee confidentiality for our clients with certain exceptions. Like, and these exceptions usually have to do with the idea of harm. So... If someone's harming you Or you're harming someone else Or if you're harming yourself Through suicidal right. subtle behaviours And things like that Then we have to break confidentiality Or if it's a legal case Like, like some of the courts Or penises or something like that Then we have to release the notes right? Mm. But short of those two situations Everything that you share with us Is confidential And it's something that's Dictated in our ethical guidelines What that means right? Basically is that If I do breach Your confidentiality And let's say I accidentally say something On air or with my friends Or whatever it is And we find out You can take me to court I'll lose my licence And I can't practice anything So that's one of the ways You can use to try and uh, reaffirm that trust in the work that we're doing and right another good way you can go do it is to canvas the therapist that you're wanting to see by that, what I mean is you ask people who've seen them before, have a chat with them, call up the center and say, hey, you know what, I want to see Joel, can I speak to him and ask some questions, for example. And you can kind of get a gauge on how they do their practices and what kind of uh, guidelines they have, for example. Like going through a kind of portfolio activity. of work, in a way? Yeah, yeah, in a way. Like, if you go on to a lot of uh, private centers in Malaysia, right, they'll have their therapist's profiles there listed anyway, so you can see who they are, what they do, their affiliations and things like that, right? So that's another good way to try and understand or feel more assured, like, but at the end of the day, all of this is null and void if you're not even going to try, right? Mm. So I think if you do all those kind of work, then the best next best thing is to tr- try one session and see. Right? Mm. Um, us therapists were very cognizant about the fact that you know when I see a client for the first time, it's not going to be a match. Me, I haven't. Uh, all the time, yep. never, right? I've got clients who come see me within ten minutes. Say, you know what? I don't feel you. I want to see someone else. Totally mm. fine. Be totally okay about it, right? So if you go see a therapist and you find that you know, this is real or funky, I don't want to see this anymore. End the session. It's fine. Try and find someone else, either in the center or somewhere else, uh, another, another place, sense right? So try it out and see. Get a feel for that person. You know, um, I think nothing beats spending some time with that person to gauge and see whether you can trust them or not.
1: But oh. how do you overcome trust issues? Exactly in a therapy session if that person doesn't even trust
0: that's a barrier yeah like right he, he already
1: has a wall built up
0: so speaking from a therapist's point of view so if I had a client like that right um, I'll have the client come in and we we'll start talking then immediately the first thing that I want to do after we've done through the, the niceties and the protocols and all that is to start understanding where that trust issue comes from so I'm not even gonna uh, say trust me I'm not gonna even say that mm. I'm just gonna understand, try and understand you've got trust issues you don't trust me totally get it let me understand where that comes from right because obviously it's a defense mechanism that this person has for some reason, maybe he's been scorned by someone, got reached, like severely cheated by someone, for example. So I want to try and understand where that's coming from. Again, you don't have to trust me, it's totally fine, but I want to see where that's coming from and see whether I can understand where it's coming from and see whether we can do something about it or not.
1: We received a call from Zamir. Zamir, you have a question for a doctor?
0: Just recently been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and
1: the medicine that they give me I don't think it's helpful they keep on increasing the dosage from 50 to 100 to 150 for now and it only helps in my sleeping cycle because last time I couldn't sleep at all I want to know the maximum dosage for this medicine which is I do not know how to pronounce the medicine Q U E T I A. -A 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 P-I-N-E and Fumarate F-U-M-A-R-A-T-E Do you have any other medicine that can help in my disorder? I mean this bipolar disorder because I don't think it's helpful at all because whenever the panic attack kicks in whenever the OCD kicks in it's like I have everything in combo.
2: Right. Dr.
0: Joel? So Zami, mean, I think you may say some things quite interesting things towards the end. So you say uh, panic attacks you had OCD and uh, I think early on you said uh, bipolar disorder as well. I think you've got a lot going on right? and and to be honest with you the medication that you mentioned listen, are, those are things are not very familiar with it's not something typically you take for bipolar or OCD or panic or anxiety, like, anxiety right? I think Dr. Philip would be, probably be the best person to answer this question because he's a psychiatrist I'm a clinician. I don't uh, deal with medication but I do wonder like, because it's not typically something you would prescribe for those kind of disorders like, so you definitely want to probably maybe get a second opinion and Dr. Philip would be the best bet like, I think
1: So we sent Zames' inquiry over to Dr. Philip George who is our resident psychiatrist and is better versed when it comes to psychotic medication and here's what Dr. Philip had to say
2: So bipolar disorder is a mood disorder, uh, which typically has phases of illness as mania and depression. And for management or treatment of bipolar disorder, we use mood stabilizers. The medication that you mentioned, quetiapine fumarate, is one such mood stabilizer. But the typical dose as a mood stabilizer for quetiapine is usually about 300 to 800 milligrams per day. It's normally given a night because it causes sedation and there is also a risk of you know, increase appetite, putting on weight and metabolic syndrome. So you need to monitor those things. It's actually a very effective treatment, but the dose needs to be adequate. Very often in bipolar, patients will also have co committent anxiety disorders or symptoms like panic and OCD like you described. And I think if the medication is, you know, better sort of adjusted, it can actually help to control all those symptoms as well.